I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and the public home of the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. Hey, listen, my wife said uh, sex is great on vacation. It's not what I was hoping to read on the back of the postcard. She sent me from Greece. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, that was a good one from Duff. Uh, I like that. Maybe he should just stay on the road. He's inspired when he's on tour. Uh, Duff delivering the jokes every Friday, even though he and Guns N' Roses are in South America this week and next week. And then they head to Mexico on October 15th. And even better, they're headed to Australia in December. And so is Fozzie. We got four great shows in the land down under Adelaide, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Go to FozzyRock.com to see our full itinerary and VIP meet and greets as well. And don't forget about our big UK tour starting November 4th in Manchester all the way to November 14th in London. Go to FozzyRock.com for all ticket and VIP information. And also, don't forget about Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover, ChrisJerichoCruise.com to book your cabin. Still some cabins left, and you're not going to want to miss this lineup. We got the comedy block. Brad Williams, our director of laughs, the returning Kate Quigley, Raj Sharma, and Jeff Dye will be bringing down the house with their comedic talents. Quiet Riot, Royal Bliss, Raven, the all-female Kiss cover band, Pris, Dave Spivak Project, Guardians of the Jukebox, Quarantine, and Fozzie doing three sets on the cruise. Plus, we got live podcast talk is Jericho, the major wrestling figure pod, Talk and Shop, the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader, AEW Wrestling will be on the ship and the biggest news of the week. We're going to have the inaugural crowning of the Jericho Cruise Oceanic Champion, Moose, Matt Cardona, the world famous CB, a.k.a. Cheeseburger, and just announced AEW's highest high flyer, Dante Martin, is going to be in the tournament to decide the first Jericho Cruise Oceanic Champion. 
The four of them will face each other in the tournament, and the winner will take on Flip Gordon to decide who is going to be the champion of the seas. We're going to our own private island as well for the first time ever. Great Stirrup K. Remember, you don't have to be vaccinated. You don't even have to take a test to get on board anymore. We are back to pre-2020 rules. So come join us, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Come have the vacation of a lifetime. All right. October 2nd marked my 32nd anniversary in wrestling. Uh, It's hard to believe because the year 2022 has been a career year for me, one of my best years ever. Had a great match uh, on Wednesday with uh, Sammy Guevara versus Daniel Garcia and Brian Danielson last week against Bandito, one of my all-time favorite matches. I'm going to talk more about that coming up in this show. I love AEW and what I've been able to do there creatively. Got me thinking. It made me, made me wax nostalgic about my first ever match uh, in Pinocchio on October 2nd, 1990, training at the Hart Brothers camp. I know we've talked about this story before with Lance Storm, and I did a watch-along on the match a couple years ago, but this is more of my personal recollections, the events surrounding the day. Chris Jericho versus Lance T. Storm, third on the card. I run down the whole card and all the guys involved. You hear about my drive to Pinocchio with Brett Como and Mike Lazansky uh, that day and how, how it built up to doing that big show in Pinocchio at the Moose Hall. All the ideas for my entrance music and ring gear and how I settled on what I wore all the names I contemplated before going with Chris Jericho, and there's more than just Jack Action. Uh, I know Lance and I once again did the watch along a couple of years ago for my 30th anniversary wrestling, but this is a little bit more in depth and even why that match happened to be videotaped and who the commentator was. Lots of great information thinking back to that day uh, 32 years ago. And like I said, it doesn't seem like yesterday, but I remember so much about it, and I wanted to tell you all the details on the origin of Jericho. October 2nd, 1990. Sit back, enjoy, and take a time machine ride with me right here on Talk is Jericho. All right, so October 2nd, just a few days ago on Sunday, was my 32nd anniversary in the wrestling business. October 2nd, 1990, had my first match ever at the Pinocchio Moose Hall in Pinocchio, Alberta. And I know a few years ago, Lance and I watched uh, the match. We did a watch along. But I just really felt like I wanted to um, talk a little bit more about that match, a little bit more detail, and just kind of remember that time frame. So if you watched the watch along and, and enjoyed that show a couple years ago, and you've heard some of these stories before, then that's cool. But I just really felt like I wanted to really discuss that uh Match in more detail from my perspective uh, and not from Lance's as well. Now, obviously, I think one of the reasons why I really felt like doing this is I'm having almost a career year here in 2022 at, uh, you know, <laughs> 51 years old, which is amazing. And once again, um, you know, very thankful to be doing what I'm doing and very thankful to be having a great year and working with such great guys and having such a great platform for my creativity in AEW. So it's making me kind of really appreciate my whole career uh, once again. And going back to that time frame, I put up an Instagram post this morning and it just really uh, made me um, want to discuss the minutiae and details of that very first match. Now, obviously, we know that I trained in Calgary, and I'm just going to go back through everything. And I was there the summer of 1990. 
met up with Lance Storm on the very first day, and we trained together all summer. And uh, Ed Ed Langley was our trainer. It was the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp, and and like I've said many times, Keith Hart showed up on the first day, basically to collect the money, and asked a couple questions. And and when he um, asked me if I had any questions, if anyone had any questions, I, I said, you know, I asked him how many matches he had. And he told me in no uncertain terms that no one keeps track of that. And it's kind of a dumb question. And I thought to myself, like I said in, in my book, well, you know, if if I want to find out how many matches Wayne Gretzky has had, I can go look that up in a book uh, at the library. And well, why can't I do that for, for wrestling matches as well? So which that's why I, I did the complete list of Jericho, which we still keep track of to this day. I think Alex Marvis says I'm at, I mean, maybe... 2,280 matches now or something along those lines. But this was back, you know, before I had any matches. And I remember when I asked Keith that question, he kind of took umbrage to it. And I think when we finally uh, got into the ring, he shot me off and said, take a backdrop. And I took a backdrop and landed on my feet because I had been practicing that for a long time with my high school friend, uh, Craig Wallace. And I thought I was going to be the star pupil. And of course, Keith felt differently, thought I was trying to show him up and put me in some kind of a stretch hold where I felt like my teeth were going to collapse in on each other, literally break in half. And that was it. That's basically the last time I think we ever saw Keith or any other Hart brother at the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp. But we did have Ed Langley, and we did have kind of this ragtag collection of uh, students. I remember Vic DeWild was one of them. He ended up being uh, Dr. Love and uh, Sir Benson Surreal, which was actually his middle name, Victor Benson Surreal Wild, and he was a little guy that kind of looked like uh, Latka from Taxi, and he made the uh, obvious transition from archery to wrestling. He was a champion archer, <laughs> got into wrestling. And one of the few guys that actually worked some pro matches, um, I think Lance and I, and uh, Victor Wild, and I think a couple other people might have had a match or two here and there, but that was basically it. Wilf was a guy, Wilfred was a guy who showed up. He, he had um, really bad, like, I think cross eyes, wonky eyes. He couldn't quite see straight. He was another one of the guys in that, uh, in that camp. He actually had a pro match, and that's all he wanted to do, so congratulations to Wilf. And uh, a couple of the guys, there was another guy called uh, Edvin Barrel, who literally looked like a barrel. He was probably topping the scales at about 380 or so. Kind of looked like the catcher from the Bad News Bears. Oglevy? Not Oglevy. What was the catcher from the Bad News Bears' name? Engelbert. That was his name. Uh, big guy. We had another guy called Mike, who I think uh, had come from the Lumberjack uh, culture in BC. I think he actually had a couple bullet holes in uh, in his body. Uh, the guy called Eric, we called him the, the big boss man. He's kind of looked like the big boss man. A girl called Deb, who was pretty clued out. And um, I remember when she showed up one day, her hair was all chopped up. She had really uh, badly dyed hair, and she showed up with like this really bad haircut. And she said she was trying to cut the roots out. So there you go. <laughs> so that was kind of uh, this guy called Ron. I remember he took a back bump, walked out. We never saw him again. Ron had a a buxom girlfriend that used to come watch his train. So I liked when Ron showed up, I was sad when he left. So anyways, that was kind of a, a, a kind of a mixture of some of the guys that were at the training camp and, you know, uh, a lot of them uh, kind of just drifted off. Paul was another guy. I think he was a first nation that came. Another guy was kind of built like uh, Engelbert. So we had uh, quite the collection of, of ragtag students and 
like I said, most of them kind of dropped out. And so when it came time for the first match, uh, Lance and I were kind of the star pupils of the Hart Brothers camp, along with uh, Benson Sorrell, who was a manager. And a guy called Bob Puppets used to hang out around the school. We had a lot of kind of guys that would come hang out at the school. Steve Gillespie was another one. He was kind of a stampede wrestling jobber that would come hang around. Uh, Brett Como, who was a very good kind of, I guess you'd call a cruiserweight, a junior heavyweight. Brad Young, another junior heavyweight, they would hang around. Actually, Como and I became very close uh, along with Mike Lazansky, who was another guy who was working everywhere at the time. He was very close to Bad News Allen, Bad News Brown. And Mike's parents had a lot of money, so it didn't matter if he got paid a lot. He could just take the opportunities. And Mike and I actually went to Mexico together for the first time. He took me to Mexico when I used to wrestle in Monterrey in 92. And we were Los Gatos Salvaje, which was the Wildcats. And I was, of course, uh, Lionheart Chris Jericho, which later became Corazon de Leon. And he was Tigre Canadiense, the Canadian Tiger, uh, Mike Lazansky. I think Mike Anthony was the name that he used, not to be confused with Michael Anthony from uh, from Van Halen. So that was kind of like the, the group of guys that, that I hung out with and got to know. And, you know, the, the coma was a rocker. So I liked hanging out with him. We had a long hair and just super chill and... He, he ended up, I took him to Japan with WAR. He was the Black Dragon, who was the antithesis, Ultimo Dragon. He was dressed in the same costume, but it was all black. So anyways, that was kind of a little bit of the, of the guys that were hanging around. So Bob Puppets, um, I remember, like I mentioned, was, was, you know, would show up from time to time. And he actually, uh, when I was trying to figure out a name, he wanted to call me uh, Rob Benoit. Because he said I looked like Chris Benoit, which I kind of did at the time. And Chris, of course, was just starting out in Calgary. He was going to Japan at that point in time, etc. So he wanted to call me Rob Benoit. I didn't like that. I didn't want to be uh, Chris Benoit's little brother. I didn't even know Chris at the time. And uh, I remember I got thrown over the top rope. And he was like, wow, he gets thrown over the top rope like Brian Pillman. I remember that. So you get these little... You know, these, these little uh, uh, bits of compliments. Because Lance was so athletic. He used to drive me crazy, like I said, on, on the last uh, podcast that we did together a couple of years ago. And so I could never live up to his athleticism. It drove me crazy. You know, but I always tried to be, you know, a little bit more of the charismatic guy. And I was more talkative and obviously, you know, a better promo than Lance, which, you know, at the time, neither one of us were really good promos. But... You know, a better promo than Lance at the time would be, you know, like saying you're better, you know, you're faster than a turtle or something like that. So Puppets was always hanging around. I remember he was running a, a promotion. He had, a, he had a, a promotion that he was that he was the promoter of. He was the boss. And it was called the Canadian Wrestling Connection, the CWC. And Puppets was uh, hanging around and said, yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with the Canadian Wrestling Connection. And Puppets has since passed away. And I always thank him for giving me my first match. And he kind of looked like Mark Borchardt from American Movie. If you guys have ever seen that, if you want to Google Mike Bo- Mark Borchardt, he's kind of tall and skinny, a little bit of a mullet, kind of a you know a mustache with glasses. And he was the judge, Bob the Judge Puppets. And like most promoters, I think he was the champion of the, of the company. If he's going to be the promoter, he's going to be the champion, damn it. So I remember he was like, yeah, I run a, a promotion. And, you know, I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm thinking like, he's like, yeah, we wrestle around, you know, and I'm, you know, kind of the, kind of the, the, the head promotion in Western Canada. 
because Stampede Wrestling had shut down in December of 89. So I just missed wrestling for Stampede. So the Canadian Wrestling Connection was going to take over the reins from Stampede. And I remember, well, where are you running? Like, is it Vancouver? Is it Calgary? Is it Edmonton? He's like, no, Innisfail. And I was like, Innisfail? Like, he didn't even know where the hell that was. Innisfail is a small little town kind of uh, in between Calgary and Edmonton, I believe. And so when we were doing this three-month camp at Frank Sisson's Silver Dollar Action Center, which is uh, where the CNWA was also running, Canadian National Wrestling Alliance, I believe it was called, uh, another company that was going to take over for for Stampede, now that Stampede is closed. So uh, there's a couple promotions. So anyways, we were at the uh, Silver Dollar Action Center, and puppets would come hang out. And so he was the one who said that there's going to be a show. I remember Ed Langley saying, there's a show. There's a show coming up. And we were like, oh, my gosh, our first match. And when's it going to be? October 2nd, 1990. And where's it going to be? Once again, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, Vancouver. No, Panoka. Where's Panoka? Well, if you look at the map of Canada, it's about probably 30 minutes north of Red Deer, Closer to Edmonton, but basically between Calgary and Edmonton. Red Deer, Red Deer is kind of the middle, the middle point between Calgary and Edmonton, and uh, Pinoca is a little bit further north. So that's where the initial, uh, the the first match was going to be, which was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. So we got booked on it, and the match was going to be uh, Lance and Chris in our first match against each other which is great because that's you know we had trained with each other all summer and you know when when ed langley who was once again was the trainer and the owner of heart brothers realized that we were the two best guys in the camp he let us go in there on saturdays and sundays and kind of train with each other which was very beneficial and so the camp was it was monday to friday i believe like five to eight you do three hours a day and then saturdays and sundays were off and that's when Ed would let Lance and I go in there and work out with each other. So it was a no-brainer that Lance and Chris would be in our first match together. And um, that was kind of what we were uh, uh, working on. You know, that was that was the goal because the, the camp was uh, started at the end of June and ended at the end of August. And when the camp was done, it's not like you get a diploma and a job. It's like off into the wilderness you go, guys, and good luck to you. So just the fact that we actually had a match booked before camp ended was a huge kind of deal for us because, you know, now we have a goal. And like I said, it was probably four or five weeks after after camp was done, but we were ready to roll and, and it was super exciting. But it was a little bit of, dry, of a drag. I'll go a little bit deeper here. September 15th of 1990, my mom had a, a really bad accident which left her a quadriplegic. Anybody that knows me knows that story. It was right before her birthday, as a matter of fact, which was a total drag. So I remember getting that call. You know, here I am getting ready for this match, and I'm all excited, and, you know, my dream is coming true. And then I get this call from my dad that my mom has been in this terrible accident, and I have to go back to Winnipeg. And that was it. I was ready to to quit wrestling. You know, I was going to stay home and help my mom and, and do what I could to, to make sure that she would be have somebody with her as she started this new life. And I remember she was like, absolutely not. Like, you are going to go live this dream. I'm not going to let, you know, my accident, you know, end your dreams of, of, of 
being a wrestler. So she was the one who actually was like, nope, you're going to go do this. And, you know, I, I call it the iron will. Iron will of, of, of Loretta Irvin, who I call Sweet Loretta Modern, um, after the uh, Get Back by the Beatles, which when Paul sings, Sweet Loretta Modern thought she was a woman. I always thought it was Sweet Loretta Modern, but it's Sweet Loretta Martin. But to me, it's always going to be Sweet Loretta Modern because that fits. She, she was a modern lady, very hip, very cool. And so I thank my mom for, you know, giving me that momentum to like, you know, you're going back and you're going to have this match and you're going to embark on your career because this is your dream. So I remember I went to Winnipeg for a week or two and I came back right before the the match was, was going to start. Like, you know, before I think I got back September 30th and the match was October 2nd. So it's not like I had a bunch of time to sit around and train and go over the match. And then things, you know, things weren't, weren't the same back then as they are now where everyone goes over every spot or a lot of people do. Uh, back then it was just, you know, you would, you know, have one or two spots and go in there and just work. And I'll talk more about that when we return on Talk is Jericho. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas, see? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. All right, so um, I come back from Winnipeg, and now we're getting into the actual match. And the funny thing is, I had no idea. I just looked up that October 2nd, 1990 was a Tuesday night, which is a weird night for a wrestling show. But hey, maybe the Pinocchio Moose Hall was booked for banquets or whatever the hell it is. But uh, yeah, so it was a Tuesday and I was living at the time with the Palco family, who was this amazing family that kind of took me in and let me live there. They charged me $10 a day for room and board, 300 bucks a month, which is insane when you think about it. That Mrs. Palco, the mom, made three meals a day and I could eat whatever I wanted. And it was just such a great, great uh, arrangement for me, a godsend. And both Jerry and Bev Palco have passed away. Uh, still very close with their son, Tyler. Uh, he's on the Jericho cruise every year. And it was just one of those uh, amazing setups for me that if I didn't have them, I'm not going to say I wouldn't have made it because I still would have made it, but it wouldn't have been easy for sure. So uh, anyways, it was uh, coming down to the wire of that day. 
And prior to that, we we're trying to think of names and everyone knows the story, but I like telling it. So like I said, if you're listening, you've heard this before, please uh, indulge me. They wanted, uh, I wanted to, they were trying to think of a name. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? What's it going to be? And when I was in high school in my, you know, backyard wrestling federation, my idea was to be Christian Chris Irvin because I was really into Striper at the time. I love Striper so much. And my idea was I would come to the ring to Rock Rock Till You Drop by Def Leppard. <laughs> I don't know why Christian Chris Irvin wouldn't come to the ring to a Striper song, but I just liked Rock Rock Till You Drop. And I would throw Bibles to the crowd like Striper did. Can you imagine a wrestler throwing Bibles in the crowd? I mean, you turn yourself heel pretty quickly, right? But when I got to wrestling school, I didn't have the... I didn't really want to do the Christian gimmick for the obvious reasons. I didn't really have the conviction to do it either. So I was trying to think of a name, and, and there's, a, there's a Wasp song on the Last Command record called Jack Action. And I thought that would be a great name, Jack Action. So you've heard the story before. I was practicing my autograph, was Jack Action, and the end turned into a star like Paul Stanley because Paul Stanley had a star at the end of his autograph. And if you look at the early 2000 WWE merchandise, I signed Chris Jericho with that Paul Stanley star, and they used that signature for the next five years. And I I'd long dropped the Paul Stanley star in my autograph at that point in time. But I was signing Jack Action over and over and over again, and I think Lance happened to see the book that I was signing. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, basically, nothing. I was a little bit like nervous. You never want to tell me what your name's going to be. He's like, Jack Action, that's a terrible name. And I was like, of course it's a terrible name. I was never going to call myself that. But had Lance not said that, I might have been Jack Action. The other name I was thinking was Sean Skywalker. But Sean was too close to Sean Michaels, who, of course, was one of my heroes at the time. Sean Michaels, Owen Hart, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat were my heroes. I tried to emulate them with the moves that I did. And so Sean Skywalker, but then maybe Shane Skywalker, but there was a Shane Douglas, so I didn't know what I wanted to do. Chris Skywalker wouldn't have fit. So Sean Skywalker, Shane Skywalker, Jack Action were all kind of the ideas that I had for my name. And then it was coming down to the wire of what is your name going to be? And once again, Halloween, who I'm going to go see in May in Tampa. I'm so excited. I love Halloween to this day. Uh, has a record called The Walls of Jericho. And I had that cassette in the front seat of my 76 Volari. That's what I drove out to uh, to Calgary from Winnipeg. It's about a 14-hour drive. And the car was what you would call a beater. It was a real beater to the point when I took it in for a 50-point inspection at Canadian Tire before we went on a long road trip about a year later. The mechanic wrote uh, at the time it had failed like a bunch of the different you know, check marks for the 50-point inspection and it had comments at the top and the guy had written get a new and then crossed it out his comment was get a new car right and then decided he didn't want to be mean so anyways i had my 76 Volari, and uh i had the walls of jericho cassette in the front seat and i just saw jericho chris jericho that might be kind of cool and when they asked me what my name was i said chris jericho kind of holding my fingers crossed and both lance and, and ed langley thought it was a great name and Lance, who is Lance Evers, chose Lance Storm. And then Ed put the T in the middle. And if you know the, uh, the, the, the answer to this, what does the T stands for? The T stands for thunder. 
And Lance, I think, denies it to this day. But that's what it was. Lance T. Storm was, uh, was his, his name. And the T stands for thunder. So um, then a couple weeks later, I found out that Bob Puppets and Ed Langley wanted to make me a cowboy. Now, in Calgary, obviously, Stampede, it's a very uh, ranch, cattle farming area. I lived on a farm with the Palcos, so I was doing a little bit of farming at the time, baling hay and, you know, shooting the gophers that were infesting the entire field. Uh, and they had a huge field. It was acres and acres and acres and acres wide and long. And there was some cattle there and some horses. So I was doing all of that sort of stuff because I was basically, or, you know, if I'm going to live there for 10 bucks a day, you got to go do some ranch head stuff. Like when the cows escaped onto the highway, I had to go wrangle them and round them up. So they wanted to make me a cowboy and call me Cowboy Chris Jericho. And I hated that idea because I'm a rocker. I can't be a cowboy. But uh, it was just, I was terrified. You're going to be Cowboy Chris Jericho. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be Cowboy Chris Jericho. But then I was like, well, what if I have to do this? And I was trying to think of songs because ring entrance music was always very important to me. You know, it was always, always very important to me. So there's a song by a band called Little Feet, which I think were around in the late 60s. They had a little bit of resurgence in 1990, and they had a song called Texas Twister. And I was thinking, well, if I have to be a cowboy, maybe I'll use this Texas Twister song as, 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 as my country. It wasn't even country. It was like a rock country song. I'll use that as my ring entrance. And I was just mortified about it. So I remember I called Brett Como. I was like, they want to call me Cowboy Chris Jericho. What am I going to do? And he, typical Como was just like, well, then don't do it. And I was like, I have that choice? Because, yeah, don't do it. So I told Ed Langley I didn't want to be a cowboy. And I was like, can you imagine in this day and age if some kid in his first match told the promoter, I don't want to do this gimmick? He would have you coming out there with a giant Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber cowboy hat, like the most exaggerated cowboy ever. But they're like, okay, well, if you don't want to be a cowboy, then don't be a cowboy. That was kind of the first example before my first match of me kind of always standing up for myself, which got me a lot of heat over the years, especially when I first got to WWE. People thought I was like hard to work with because I just would stand up for what I believed in, which I still do. And uh, so uh, I was not Cowboy Chris Jericho. And if you, if you see the program, which I'll post, I posted on Instagram a few weeks ago or, or this week, shall I say. And you can see that I was billed from Casper, Wyoming. Uh, Casper with a K, because I guess uh, Bob Puppets, whoever wrote the pro program, <laughs> didn't quite realize uh, that uh, you spell Casper with a C. But if people want to know why were you billed from Casper, Wyoming, that's the reason. Because I was originally supposed to be Cowboy Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming. So that's it. So so, so the match is made. It's, it's Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming versus Lance T. Storm. Uh, he's he's billed from uh, Toronto, Ontario, because he was from North Bay, Ontario. And that was the thing back in those days. You never wanted to be billed from your hometown. Now I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm proud of it. But at the time, if you're wrestling in Pinocchio, Alberta, you don't want to be from Winnipeg. That's too close. You got to be from Casper, Wyoming. It has a little bit of a international flair behind it, right? All right, so I'm like 10 and 0 when it comes to snagging the last delicious factor meal in my house before the new weekly delivery arrives. 
We all love Factors ready-to-eat meals here in the Jericho household. They're fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted and dietitian approved and best of all, they're ready to eat in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier or more delicious. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. So before I jumped on the plane to get the dynamite this week to Russell Atlantis Jr., I had grilled steakhouse filet mignon with Parmesan cream, spinach, and broccolini. Two minutes to heat it up, ate it right out of the factory container, and then tossed it in the garbage. Fast, easy, and delicious. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. You can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals, too. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, and Factor is less expensive than takeout. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash TIJ50 and use code TIJ50 to get 50% off. That's code TIJ50 at factormeals.com slash TIJ50 to get 50% off. So let's get to the actual day, October 2nd, 1990, a Tuesday night, which I just found out. I would have guessed for sure it was a Friday or a Saturday, but it was a Tuesday. And I remember going to where Como was living. He had a couple roommates and... Um, he was kind of a skater. So remember, they used to call girls Bettys. So there's a couple Bettys there <laughs> at Como's. He was one of those guys that had a house with like a, a couple a couple of the guys. It's kind of a party house, you know, drinks a beer. And I didn't smoke weed, but some guys would smoke weed. You know, that was always kind of prevalent, which was a little bit more taboo in the early 90s than it is now. I mean, hell, early 90s. It was 1990. And I remember right that week that Warren's Cherry Pie album had come out. So that was the big album to be listening to at the time, you know, because we were all like metal guys. And uh, I had decided that I wanted to use Poison Unskinny Bop as my ring song. That had come out during the summertime. So uh, it was it was kind of, that was the, the song I was going to use. And if you listen to Unskinny Bop and think of it as ring music, it's pretty cool. It's got a cool little beat. You can come out to it. It's got an intro. But yeah, Warrant had come out uh, September 8th, 1990 is when it came out. So about, about a month prior. So that was the big album to listen to. So I remember hanging out at Como's place and getting ready. Como was on the show. Uh, and I'll go over the entire card uh, up and coming here. Lazansky was not on the show, but for some reason, uh, he drove us to the show. I remember he, he was the guy that drove his, his parents' car. Or it was probably his car. I shouldn't say parents' car. Obviously, he, he was probably 21 at the time. I was 19. Como, I think, Como was five years older. So he was, he was the old man at 24 years old. So Como, Mike, and I, and I think a couple of Bettys jumped in the car. And we drove with Mike a lot. Como and Mike and I traveled the country. We went to uh, Pomona, not to be confused with Pinoca, Pomona, California, which is Los Angeles. We drove from Calgary, Los Angeles for a show at a flea market because Mike had connections. We went to all the way to Kansas City, Missouri, to work for a guy called Christopher Love that uh, didn't work out so well. We, we, we drove quite a bit with Mike. We went to Vancouver a couple times. So Mike had the car, Mike had the money, and, and we were the drivers. But this time, Mike drove us to, to Pinocchio. And like I said, it's about a two-hour drive from Calgary or so. And uh, I remember we were off and running and and started driving and i remember cherry pie by warrant was one of the albums that we played on the way there and i was super nervous um as you would be i think lance probably drove up with ed langley because lance was like lance was always kind of earmarked as 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 the star of the two of us because he was so athletic and 
obviously Ed liked him because he was probably a little bit more mature and, and didn't party, didn't drink. And I was just, you know, I was a 19 year old kid, man. I mean, I was living it up, you know? So I think Lance and, and, and Ed probably drove up together, but I drove up with Como and Lazansky and the Bettys to impress them at the Pinoca Moose Hall. So um, I remember getting there and the Moose Hall was kind of like a lodge, like, you know, like a veterans hall or something like that, like a banquet hall. And it seemed so big at the time, but I bet you if I went back now, it would look like a closet. I remember when I went to the Knoxville Civic Center, which is where Lance and I wrestled at Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and it was the big show. You would Once every three or four months, you'd have a big show there. Night of the Legends was there the night I wrestled with a broken arm, and it just seemed like the biggest place in the world. And when I went back there, actually, I worked with Kane, and, and, and Glenn and I were sitting in there going, like, it used to seem like it was so big. Now it's like somebody threw it in a trash compactor and, like, made it small. You know, you just couldn't believe how small it was. I bet you if I went back to the Pinocchio Moose Hall today, and it's still there. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember we were driving from Calgary to Edmonton, probably, gosh, I don't know, 10 years ago, Iron Maiden was playing Calgary and Edmonton and we did a double shot and went and saw both nights and we stopped in Pinoca. I remember I had a, had a car, like a, like a SUV, a driver. And I said, can you pull over in, in Pinoca and let's try and find the minute with the moose hall. And we found it. And I took a picture of it and then Lance photoshopped a picture of him beside me. But I remember just going back there. It looked like just the smallest place ever. You know, and, and and I, but I remember it was there was a downstairs area, and they had like kind of like a pioneer motif, like logs, uh, like a like a log, like a log cabin sort of thing, and there was the uh, the ring was downstairs, and then you had to go upstairs to where the dress rooms were. So when your name was announced, you'd walk out of the dress rooms, walk down the stairs into the ring. Uh, and that was that was the story. It was it was time we had got there. My ring music was Poison, Unskinny Bop. My tights were yellow and black, based off of Striper, because I love the yellow and black motif. Motif, and the tights were made by Luther, uh, Doctor Luther, Luther and AW, my longtime friend Lenny Olson. His mom Karen made those tights, yellow spandex tights with black and yellow. Uh, tassels down the side and, and no ring jacket and black boots that we had made at a calgary shoemaker uh, they were very flimsy they weren't patent leather they were just normal leather i probably have those boots somewhere still to this day and uh ed, ed langley was furious because i had black boots and he said if you wear black boots you're a heel baby faces wear white boots and i was like well i can't wear white boots with yellow and black tights because it doesn't match the striper is yellow and black so i have to have black boots so once again showing my defiance first this guy must have been wondering what the hell my problem was no wonder he wanted to ride with lance up to the show and not me because first of all i told him i didn't want to be a cowboy and then i told him i was gonna wear black boots and black boots are a no-no you're a heel if you wear those so how shame on you how dare you so uh, if you look to um when lance and i were a tag team wearing those matching yellow tights with the the black tassels and the yellow tassels on the side i had the black boots and lance had the white boots so he didn't match as well as i did uh, but let's talk about the card next you know who's living large at my house my three cats mr mittens indy and snickers and you know why because we switched them to pretty litter okay so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large thanks to pretty litter because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. 
Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I got to deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, let's run down the card here. I actually have the program, um, which I posted uh, on Instagram a few days ago. It's the best logo ever. Canadian Wrestling Connection. It's like a cartoon that some somebody drew freehand, like in math class or something, in the back of the room. And the uh, front cover says, We are Canadian Wrestling Connection, the fastest rising wrestling promotion in Canada. The Canadian Wrestling Connection was founded and based upon the fact that wrestling is a sport, a hard-hitting, fast-paced abundance of action. After Stampede Wrestling and All-Star Wrestling out of Vancouver collapsed, the Canadian Wrestling Connection surfaced. It is our full intention to give you, the fans, the full contact that is in demand. We are what the universe has been waiting for. There you go. Not world peace. The universe has been waiting for Canadian Wrestling Connection. So if you open it up, there's the promoter's corner. And, of course, the promoter's corner uh, is, is the promoter is... Uh, Bob the Judge Brian was his name, Bob Puppets. And um, Chris Jericho, that's spelled J-E-R-I-C-O. There you go. Hailing from Casper, Wyoming. Casper with a K. This talented young man is a high flyer whose acrobatic abilities will make him a force to be reckoned with as he continues his climb to the top. And Lance and I were always, uh, you know, trying to one-up each other the day. And so Lance did not get a write-up in Promoter's Corner because Promoter said, I wish I could provide biographies on all the quality wrestlers coming into our territory. But unfortunately, I don't have enough space in this program. Be sure to pick up a program at our future wrestling events to read more about the talent coming to the Pinoca area. Lots of talent flooding to the Pinoca area. So I had a write-up in the uh, program. Lance did not, so I'm sure uh, I was very happy about that. And he was probably very annoyed. So the opening uh, match of the card was for the junior mid-heavyweight uh, championship. Best of three falls. Well, one-hour time limit. It was Brett Como, 180 pounds from Santa Cruz, California, versus Brad Young, 182 pounds from Penticton. And I remember uh, they asked Brad, how much do you weigh? And he said, two pounds more than Como. And that's exactly what he was. So those guys were really solid. I think that's what Lance uh, called the best match on the show. And like I said, Brad was actually our trainer because uh, Ed Langley was the boss, but uh, he was older and not that good, to be honest with you. But Brad Young was, was a really good, serviceable, high flyer, and Como was, was very special. He was the first guy I ever saw do a shooting star press, and the reason why he was able to do that is because he was a ski jumper. Um, he used to do tricks and, and, and that sort of thing on, on the downhill skis. So he was very acrobatic and that's kind of, uh, so they had a very good kind of opening match. And then this, the, the next match was Rick Titan 
265 from Houston, Texas versus Les Thornton, 240, Manchester, England. And if I was around uh, William Regal or anybody from the old school English wrestling territory, you are not allowed to mention the name of Les Thornton. And if you go back and listen to our Regal show uh, just from a few months ago, you hear the reason why. Every time you mentioned his name, something bad happened, apparently. So he, he was cursed and you could not mention his name. And Rick Titan, of course ended up being the fake Razor Ramon. Rick passed away, regretfully, a few years ago, but Rick was uh, kind of one of the early guys. It was, you know, Rick, Lenny, myself, Lance, Como, Lazansky. We were kind of the little gang, the clique from Calgary that we all kind of hung out and stuck together. So uh, God bless Rick Titan. Uh, he was on that show against the man who can't be named. Later on went to be the uh, fake Razor Ramon in WWE. And third on the show, a 15-minute time limit, Chris Jericho, once again, J-E-R-I-C-H-O, 220 pounds from Casper Wyoming versus Lance T-Storm, 225 from Toronto, Ontario. Because like I said, you do not want to be from North Bay. That's not cool enough. And that, of course, was our uh, spot on the card, third on the show, which was good. And I'll go through some of my memories of the match, but uh, let's get a couple more of the matches here. Haircut match. Randy Rudd, who's 230, uh, 225 from Anchorage, Alaska, versus Steve Gillespie, 205, Calgary, Alberta. I'm not sure who lost that haircut match. I think it was probably Randy Rudd. Or maybe it was Steve Gillespie. They both had very short hair. And I remember Steve Gillespie used to hang out and uh, kind of provide tips. And we were talking about selling one, one day. And he said, I don't use my face when I sell. And I said, what are you, a ninja? Like, how do you not use your face to sell? I thought you were supposed to use your face to sell. Once again, showing this... You know, this uh, streak of uh, rebelliousness that probably would have gotten me beaten up countless times uh, over if, you know, I wasn't one of the quote unquote stars of the class in a uh, uh, wrestling school. There really wasn't anybody that was, you know, a shooter or tough in there. Then we had a tag team match Earthquake, Muldoon, and the aptly named Lee Baracci. He did a Liberace gimmick. Get it? Lee Baracci. They're a combined weight of 470. And they're up against Capital Punishment, which was Bob the Judge, Brian, and Shane Croft, combined weight of 480 pounds. So I think probably 280 of that was Shane Croft, and 200 maybe was Bob the Judge, Brian. And then the main event was the Royal Rumble. And this is 1990. Did the actual Royal Rumble exist? Yeah, that started in 1988. So WWE could have come after us if they wanted to. Two men start the match with one wrestler entering the ring every 60 seconds. Last man standing wins a cash prize of $1,000. Check to be presented by the Office Pub. Special thanks to the Moose Hall for their cooperation in accommodating this event. So that was the uh, exciting card. And the match itself, Chris versus Lance. And like I said, so we had... I don't know, gone over a few spots. There was a very famous spot that I always practiced in, in camp that I actually showed years later before the match uh, versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 19. Guy throws you in the corner. You reverse. You do an up and over. Guy hits the corner. He runs out, hip toss him. Then you jump up and give him a reverse victory roll, which was what it was called at the time, which is now also known as a Frankensteiner. So I wanted to do that spot because Shawn Michaels did it, I believe, in SummerSlam 88 or something like that. I think it was against uh, Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond, the Orange Express. 
And that was my big my big move. And that was the the one spot that I wanted to get in there. And I think Lance might have done the Owen Hart bum flip, which we call where you grab a guy's hand, you jump straight to the top rope, you land kind of on your ass, you flip over, land on your feet in the ring and give the guy an arm drag. So those were kind of the two spots that we did. And I remember like, you know, up in the dressing room, a little bit nervous, and here it is, boom, uh, unskinny bop starts, and I come to the ring. I don't know what Lance's theme music was. I'm sure he probably doesn't even remember, but I know it was unskinny bop for me. And I came to the to to, to the crowd, and of course, I always was more of the, you know, personality guy. Like I wanted to be the ultimate rock and roll front man in a wrestling ring like Paul Stanley or David Lee Roth or Mick Jagger, Bruce Dickinson, guys like that, and and kind of lead the crowd. And so, you know, the crowd, I haven't listed at 130. It was probably a lot less than that, maybe half of that. I don't know. But right from the get-go, I was like, well, I'm going to make sure that people get into this. So, I, you know, I'm making sure I probably went, yeah, a couple times and let a few clap-alongs to the people but they got into it because that was the thing you used to do back then you'd you'd clap your hands and you'd you'd, you'd stomp your feet you know and the and the crowd would start doing that with you and then you know that's how you would kind of start a match so i came out with my my tights and lance had a pink singlet he was coming down to the ring like he for some reason had a, a, a blonde rat tail and this pink singlet that he was wearing uh for his match and that was his charisma so we, we went through, you know, the holds that we knew and, and that sort of a thing. And, and like I said, you can go back and, and listen to the watch along that we did two years ago on the 30th anniversary. And don't forget, if it's my 32nd anniversary, it's Lance's as well. So happy anniversary to Lance. And the one thing that, that he pointed out that I remember is that, we, once again, we didn't really call much. We, we had this 15-minute draw. And 15 minutes is a long time. It really is. It's a long time to have a match especially your first one, but we did have the advantage in that we had been working together all summer. And I'm sure we kind of had gone through a few things for the match. I know nowadays, if there was someone having the first match, you'd probably have the whole thing, you know, mapped out from beginning to end. And it would be like a classic, great match, not a classic, but it'd be like a very solid match. If you had two guys, you know, it's like they say in rock and roll, you have your whole life to write your first album and, you know, a year to write your second one. You've got your whole, you know, training camp to think of your first match and a week until you do your second one, right? So um, that was uh, just the way you did things back then. So I, uh, we, we called those, those spots that I mentioned. The rest, we kind of just exchanged holds and did a few things and whatever we did. And when we were getting towards the end, we kind of ran out of things to do. So we just did the same thing over and over again because, you know, a 15-minute draw, especially if you go back and watch old Stampede Wrestling, which I've been watching this weekend from 87, 88, and 89, they had a lot of draws. And it would be at the end, a guy would do a small package, and then a guy would do a roll-up, and then a guy would do a jackknife, and then a guy would do, you know, a, a takedown quick pin. And you do as many kind of flash pins as you could at the end and just kind of waited for the time to run out. I remember we did a high spot right towards the end because we were running out of things to do, and the bell rang, and I just kind of gave up the high spot halfway through, just stopped. So that was it, the the, the time limit draw for our first match. And that was a pretty good, you know, a pretty good uh, way to end it. That way neither guy's feelings were hurt because back then if you lost a match, uh, you know, you'd feel like, oh, man, I'm just I'm getting jobbed out here. And if you want a match, you're like, oh, I'm the star of the show. I'm the apple of the promoter's eye, which Lance was because I was the rebel and he was the guy who bought the white boots. And then, so the, so if you think, uh, you know, so if you think I got the upper hand on Lance because I had a write-up in the program, 
Well, you're wrong because in the Royal Rumble, guess who won the freaking thing? Lance T, the T stands for Thunderstorm. They put him over. They, uh, we did the, the Royal Rumble, and I don't think I lasted very long. I can't remember. I guess all the guys in the card were on that. So I was actually in a match with Les Thornton, the man who can't be named, which is, you know, he's a legendary guy. So for my first night, and I don't know why the hell he was in Calgary. Anyways, I think he obviously lived there at the time. So I was thrown out unceremoniously. And Lance, I remember this. He was in the final with Earthquake Muldoon, and he won. He won the Royal Rumble. Um, and that led to him getting, I think, a title match against Earthquake Muldoon at the second show in Pinocchio, which, which we forgot that there actually was a second show. I think that was my third match. And he won. He became the, the, the Canadian Wrestling Connection champion. Uh, on that next Canadian Wrestling Connection show. The only thing was, I don't think he ever lost it because I don't think there was ever another Canadian Wrestling Connection show in Pinocchio. But we did have two shows at the Moose Hall, and Lance uh, T-Storm was the champion. So talk about getting a push right out of the gate. I should have wore white boots. I should have got white boots. But uh, yeah, I remember I was pretty annoyed that Lance won the, 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 the Royal Rumble because back then, like I said, we had such a rivalry. But when we came back from our match, from the 50-minute uh, draw, I remember, like, we were freaking out at the reaction and how good it was. And we're probably sitting there like marks with the rest of the guys in the dressing room, like Randy Rudd and all these guys that had been around for years and Gillespie and Liberace looking at these guys go like, look at these, these kids thinking of the greatest thing, the sliced bread. And I do remember we talked about this, that, that when you would take a guy's arm into the ground, he would jump up and drop a knee on it. And he said, should I do it again? And the crowd would go, yay. And I did it again. And that kid said, do it again. I was like, you want another one, kid? Here you go. And I gave him like two or three of these knee drops in a row. And uh, I just remember thinking like, this is amazing. Like the crowd's in the palm of my hand. And I literally remember Lance saying, you're like Hulk Hogan out there, man. The people go nuts for you once again. hundred people maybe going nuts for you. And the thing about it too is like what, what we were thinking about. Uh, I was talking to Lance today is there's no pictures from that. Like, it was a different culture back then. People weren't taking pictures of every single thing. You know what I mean? Like, now, if it was your first match, you'd take a picture, and it'd be on your iPhone, and you'd have it in the iCloud, and you'd take a picture to send to your mom, and you'd take a picture of the crowd, and, and that sort of thing. And there was none of that back then. I remember it was a big deal when I snuck a camera into the Iron Maiden somewhere on time in, in time tour in 1986 and have some pictures for that. And they're not very good ones because you, you would never know what you were going to get. It's not like your iPhone where you take the picture, that one's blurry or that one didn't come out. Like you would take your, you know, 24 pictures and take it to the pharmacy and you know, be nervous for a week until they were developed and see what you got. So it was a different culture. There wasn't like instant gratification of taking pictures and seeing them. So there is no pictures from that night. The match was videoed, which obviously we have, and we, we've done the, the, the watch-along, and I'll probably post a clip or two of, of that match uh, online to promote this this show, but it was just a different culture, and it is a shame that we don't have a picture from that night, but the picture that I posted of me in those tights was taken at the Okotoks Willing, Willingdon Hotel, the Willie. That's where we lived for the summer, and if you see the picture I posted a few days ago, the, the that's taken in one of the hotel rooms, by probably Ed Langley, and the backdrop is a blue blanket that we put up against the wall uh, as as a backdrop. So that was the first kind of promo pictures that we had. But um, I remember just shaking hands and being so excited about that match, and we had we had to wrestle again. We had double duty because of the Royal Rumble. But that moment, like I, I'll never forget. I, I literally can see myself in that dressing room upstairs. I remember it. 
I do remember it to this day, and it's not like a like a a total recall planted memory. Like I can see it, and I remember the moose hall and walking down the stairs and the crowd. Which, once again, I have it at one thirty. I had no barometer. There could have been 50 people there. I'm not sure. And the fact that there wasn't a lot of Canadian Wrestling Connection shows afterwards probably tells me that Bob Puppet's lost a lot of money. But I remember after the show, I got my pay envelope, and it said Jericho written on it in, 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 a, in pen, in blue pen. And, of course, it was spelt wrong, J-E-R-I-C-O. To the point where I started getting a complex, everyone was spelling my name wrong. I remember the first set of kick pads that I ever had, I spelt it J-E-R-I-C-O, which was probably in 1992 or so. But Jericho is with an H, (laughs) as it always has been the proper spelling. But I got that pay envelope, I tore it open, and inside the pay envelope, there was a green $20 bill and a purple $10 bill. Don't forget, money in Canada is different colors. And I remember thinking, that's amazing. Now, I didn't know what I was going to get. Like, nobody said, okay, you're, we'll bring you in for, you know, 500 bucks. And the standard at the time was 50 bucks. And the sad thing is, I think the standard at the time is still 50 bucks. I think the standard nowadays in 2022 is still 50 bucks on the, uh, on the independent scene or maybe 75 or something like that. But at the time, 50 bucks. If you could get 50 bucks, it was a good night. I didn't get 50, but I got 30, a $20 bill and a $10 bill. And I vividly remember that as well. And I remember thinking... The, the job that I had before I left Winnipeg to move to Calgary was, was in a deli. I worked in a, in a, in a, in a, a supermarket called IGA, which is like a, a Kroger's or a Publix or a Winn-Dixie. And I worked in the deli of this IGA grocery store. It was a smaller one. And I made five bucks an hour. And I was working, I think, eight hours a week because I was part-time because I was in high school and I was in college. So I would work eight hours a week and I got paid weekly, I think. And my paycheck was 40 bucks. And I remember thinking, okay, I worked eight hours for 40 bucks at the deli. And I just worked 15 minutes for 30 bucks. This is the shit. I'm going to be rich. This is going to be my career. And it, uh, I was right. It was my career. (laughs) And I remember, I, I wish I would have kept that envelope. Um, but 30 bucks was the uh, very first payoff I ever got. The worst payoff I ever got was a hot dog and an orange juice at a kid's birthday party, which was coming up probably in another eight months or so. About the, and then, of course, zero. Zero was the worst. But I think it's worse to get a hot dog and an orange juice than it is to get zero. Or maybe not. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. thing about that about that match is that we didn't take any pictures but it exists on video and why would that be because like i just said it wasn't commonplace to really film much or take pictures but bob puppets had organized for that show to be broadcast on local cable tv like a uhf station or whatever it was so it was actually filmed even though (laughs) It was only filmed on videotape. 
So it's not like it was professionally filmed or pro shot or anything like that. But you can see that the camera was actually, you know, on a tripod and there was some semblance of professionalism. There's some graphics that they used. Uh, and I remember that Hurricane Heath Brown was the commentator for the match. And I believe that Benson Surreal, the aforementioned Benson Surreal, was his color commentator. So that's kind of why that was filmed in the first place is because Heath worked for the uh, local station. And I'm sure Lance knows more about this. Once again, if Lance did his own podcast about this show and this match, he'd probably have a lot of different memories. But from my recollection and my memories, Hurricane Heath Brown, who kind of looked a little bit like Justin Roberts, was kind of the man uh, who had the, um, you know, the power to get this thing filmed properly. So the fact that it exists is pretty cool. Like, you know, I might be the only guy of, you know, my stature who started in 1990 who has his first match on film, shall we say. And it's one of those things like I, it, I missed by like 10 months of being a guy who wrestled in five decades. I got the 90s, the 2000s, the 10s, and the 20s. I don't have the 80s. And if I did, I'd be a five-decade guy like Dustin Rhodes. But maybe it's better that I'm not a five-decade guy. I'm still a four-decade guy. So that's the story. I don't remember after that if there was a party. There, there wasn't. We probably just drove home, and it was the first of many matches. And my second match was, I believe, eight days later in Strathmore, which, once again, I think we did a watch-along of that, too. As good as the first match was, the second one was completely brutal. Uh, but that's the start, you know, and like I said, I know I've told a lot of these stories before, but I wanted to take a deep dive. And the reason why is here I am 32 years later and four days ago, as I'm recording this on Dynamite, AEW Dynamite, I had what I consider to be one of my favorite matches of my career versus Bandito. So to still be delivering at such a high level 32 years later, I'm very, very blessed, very fortunate and I love that match with Bandito. It was just as exciting as my first match against Lance was 32 years ago. Here's a guy that Tony asked me to, to, to do the match with, and I was all for it. I, I thought that was a pretty marquee name value match, but I'd never seen any of his work. I knew that he was kind of hot on the scene and, and a guy that uh, had a lot of critical acclaim, but I'd never watched any of his matches. So I looked up some of his matches on YouTube. I watched the match he had with Will Ospreay at WrestleCon, I believe it was 19. I watched a couple of matches that I had with Roosh. Um, and I just wrote down some ideas. And my goal was to put this guy over. Get this kid a cone track, as Booker T used to say. Um, but more importantly, just make him look like a main event star. And I know the rating wasn't as good as we would have wanted it to. Obviously, you can't fight a hurricane. Obviously, a lot of power went out. And also, too, he's an unknown guy. And that happens. You sometimes got to take from Peter to pay Paul. And we have now started to build Bandito. And hopefully, he comes to work with us more often. And, and this will all be kind of the start of, a, of his ascension. But just to know that I was able to make him look so great and have people buzzing about him. And, 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 you know, here I am, like I said, at 51, having a career year, um, not afraid, you know, taking Hurricane Rana's off the apron and, 
his uh, moonsault Spanish fly that he did from the top rope, which was absolutely crazy. Th- th- that one was great. The one off the apron hurt. I, I, I messed myself up a little bit, and I couldn't, I couldn't walk later on that night. I had some SI, uh, sciatic nerve, sciatic joint issues. I was using my bags as a crutches, and then in the morning, uh, I had done some stretching and, and that sort of thing, and I felt completely great. I kickboxed today, and it was awesome. So, And once again, that injury would have happened to me 20 years ago, and it did. Uh, I remember working Kurt Angle in Boston, and the same thing happened. I could barely walk uh, during the match, and then the next day was rough. So that happens as part of the game, but like I said, to have the match with with Bandito that I had, it just really put me in a, in a really good place to where thinking back 32 years ago, I just really wanted to, to, to talk about this and go deep and remember some of those guys like Mike Lazansky, who's no longer with us. He passed away young, so influential in those early days of my career. Rick Titan, you know, just a great guy. I was happy that I was able to reconnect with him a year or so before he passed away. Once again, died so young, total drag. You know, Brett Como, I saw him about five years ago, seven years ago now, when it was the 25th anniversary of my career in Madison Square Garden, although it was October 3rd, uh, 2015. I fudged it a bit and said it was October 3rd, but of course it's October 2nd, but that was the seven-year career. Um, uh, seven, year, seven years ago, my 25 career anniversary, I had Brett, Lance, Don Callis and, and and Lenny Luther come to Madison Square Garden to kind of hang out with me. So I hadn't seen Brett since then, but he was very integral in those early years as well. And of course, Lance, who's still a good friend of mine that I talk to quite often, talk to him today. Uh, Bob Puppets, who's no longer with us. I mean, there's a lot of guys that aren't around anymore. Les Thatcher is gone. I think Liberace's still out there somewhere, and maybe Earthquake Muldoon. But uh, just once again, Thanks to all you guys for following my career and, and allowing me to still be able to do this and giving me the motivation and the creativity and the drive to, to continue on and do this. But like I said in my Instagram post, deep down inside, you call me what you want. You know, the Ocho, eight-time world champion. Some people say the GOAT. Some people say, you know, <laughs> the worst wrestler ever. Whatever you think of me is cool. But deep down inside, I'm still that 19-year-old kid with the blonde mullet and the striper pants that was just so excited to be a part of the business. That was a real, you know, coming of age for me. Like in my first match, putting on those boots, putting on that tape and the yellow tights that I think I had a white spandex shorts on underneath. You could see the white underneath, you know, because yellow is a very revealing color. But I remember the kid in the crowd who said, let's see another one. And. The, the, how nervous I was to, to being in that ring. You know, it's like nothing is ever like your first match or your first concert. I remember Fozzie was the same or acting in a play in high school. And I played Bill Sykes in Oliver in high school. Like that opening night, you're just so scared, you know. But going in there and, and doing that match with Ed Langley as the referee, Ed is still with us. Uh, Ed is hilarious because at the time, I think he was like 54 and probably the same age as me almost. But he told everyone he was 64. For some reason, he, he liked uh, the appearance of being 10 years older. So people go, you look great for for 64. So he's the one guy that uh, claimed to be older. I haven't seen Ed in years. It would be it'd be probably pretty cool to see him again. But once again, those were great days, good times. And I remember Gene Simmons said uh, just a few years ago, People ask him what the best time in Kiss was, and he was like the early years before we made it. 
just didn't know every every milestone was special and i'm not going to say that was the best time for chris jericho the best time for me is right now i I just love what's going on in 2022 and with AEW so much but looking back to those early days when you didn't know for sure what was going to happen you know there was a lot of you know issues going on in, in my family life as i said earlier and but you were young wild and free man and you know, just this journey was about to start, and I, I was actually in the ring in Alberta where I saw Calgary Stampede Wrestling and, you know, dreamed of being the next Owen Hart or, or you know, being an honorary Hart brother or, you know, before that being such a huge wrestling fan, you know, in Winnipeg and hanging around the hotels waiting for guys and hoping someday that somebody would see me and give me a chance. Hey, kid, you look like you're pretty big. You know, I, I told the story. Uh, an upcoming British Bulldogs podcast where I used to wait around for Dynamite and Davey after the show, and hopefully they would see me and see that I had some muscles and go, hey, that kid looks like he could be something. Come with us. We'll make you an honorary Bulldog, you know, to doing the backyard wrestling, the BTWF, Big Time Wrestling Federation, which was the high school wrestling federation that me and Wallace had. And, you know, the trials and tribulations of going to camp and just how hard that was and, you know, having to do 500 hack squats in a row and getting stretched and getting beaten up and just all of that. None of it mattered when I was actually in that ring about ready to have my first match and making that $30 payoff. So anyways, I wanted to wax nostalgic today for you guys. And I know you've heard some of these stories before, but but there's a lot of new material in there. And that, that's that's every memory that I have in my bank. And I got to say, that's pretty good. I've always been pretty good. But, you know, I can't remember, you know, what I what I need to bring home from the grocery store. My wife goes nuts on me sometimes, but. I remember that, you know. I remember every little thing as if it happened only yesterday, said the late great Meatloaf. It doesn't feel like just yesterday, but I still remember so many of those things. And what a great career it's been. And I wonder if anybody out there is listening that was at Pinocchio. I wonder if anybody even knows that was there that they would see Chris, that they saw Chris Jericho and Lance Storm. And Lance had an amazing career as well. I wonder if anybody was in Pinocchio. That realizes just how how big Chris and Lance became, you know. If that is the case, then reach out to me on, on Twitter or or on Instagram and let me know. I'd like to hear uh, your thoughts and memories of it. Although probably no one even remembers. It was, it was a Tuesday night. Who goes to wrestling Tuesday night, October second? School had even started at that point in time. So for those of you that showed up, I appreciate it. For those of you listening right now, I thank you. And uh, what an honor it's been to entertain you for the last 32 years. And I promise I'm not going to say I'm just getting started because, you know, uh, 30, another 32 years probably isn't in the cards, nor do I want it to be unless I'm the Mick Jagger of wrestling. But uh, I'm just excited to where I'm at right now. And I, I'm still going, you know, still going strong. And as long as I can continue to perform at the level I performed at on Wednesday, you will see a lot more Chris Jericho. The Ocho on your television uh, screen. So thank you guys. I appreciate you uh, being with me and uh, thanks to, thanks to God for an amazing 32 years and still a lot more to come. All right. We'll see you soon.